In the year 1910, a census taker in Appleton, Wisconsin, was on the hunt for Emma Kate Corkhill. She was, apparently, nowhere to be found. Eventually, the census taker managed to track her down to Ormsby Hall at Lawrence University, where she taught. But in the end, despite their efforts, the only information they were able to collect was about Corkhill's personality. Scrawled across the columns of the census sheet, the census taker notes that Corkhill, quote, refused all information. By questioning, ascertained her census should be taken here, but refused all information. In the small space labeled house number, the writer has crammed in Ormsby Hall. Professor Corkill is only listed as head of household. It's a situation that betrays Emma Corkill's private nature. A nature so private that in fact she had successfully dodged that pesky U.S. census for the previous two decades. She was known to the community as a well-educated woman and a well-respected professor of English. But who was she to herself? Welcome to the History 101 Spring Term Podcast. This is Anna Johnston on Professor Emma Kate Corkill, A Private Life. Emma Corkill was born in 1866 in Burlington, Iowa, a small town on the Mississippi. By the time she was four, her family had moved further west and resided in Henry County's center township, in or near the town of Mount Pleasant. If the 1870 census is to be believed, in those days Emma Kate Corkill was just Kate. Corkill was the youngest of at least seven siblings, and up until her mid-twenties, she would spend her life in Mount Pleasant. Her mother, Lucinda Crawford Corkill, was born in Ohio in 1823. The Buckeye State was also the birthplace of some of Emma's eldest siblings. Her father, Thomas E. Corkill, was born on the Isle of Man and was just one year older than his wife. Thomas was a well-regarded Methodist minister and had served as the chaplain of Iowa's 25th Infantry Regiment during the Civil War. He also had a passion for education and assisted in opening schools in Iowa. In 1865, just a year before Emma was born, he was involved in the rechartering of Iowa Wesleyan College in Mount Pleasant. This was the same college that not only Emma, but several of his children would go on to attend. Both of Emma's parents seemed to have had a love for poetry, and it was a love Emma would share. Decades later, her colleague, Dr. L. A. Utes, would relate that, quote, the mechanics of the English language did not appeal to her. She wished to give her attention to the thought life of those who used the language. Emma Corkill graduated from Iowa Wesleyan in 1889 with a Bachelor of Arts. She went on to receive her master's degree from the same institution, and in 1893 graduated from Boston University with her Ph.D., her brother Charles graduated from Boston that same year with a Bachelor of Sacred Theology. On October 5, 1893, the Mount Pleasant Journal published an article sharing the news of Emma Corkill's new doctorate, which praised her for the, quote, speculative turn of mind which she inherits from her mother and very much the oratorical ability of her father. 
After graduation, Corkill took a position as professor of English at Iowa Wesleyan, just for the 1894-95 school year. Her passion for literature over the mechanics of the English language no doubt influenced her decision to move on. She also may have been motivated by a desire for travel. The Iowa Wesleyan alumni record specifically notes her for her published travel sketches. In any case, Corkill soon became the chair of English and professor of English literature at Simpson College in Indianola, a town halfway across the state. She taught at Simpson for seven years. In 1902, Corkill traveled farther to Appleton, Wisconsin and Lawrence University. There, she took on the newly established Edwards Alexander Chair as Professor of English Literature, becoming the first woman to be employed as a full professor at Lawrence. She taught at Lawrence for almost 12 years. In addition to her academic duties, she was a campus event planner, described in the pages of the Laurentian as being well-liked for her unusual personality. During the summer of 1911, Corkill had been feeling under the weather and decided to take leave fall term. She had, to quote the Lawrence College alumni record, no thoughts of serious illness. But something happened that December, a seemingly sudden near-death experience. She managed to return to her work, but the 1912-1913 school year would be her last in the classroom. Corkill arranged for leave again in the fall of 1913. It was later said in the Appleton Post that her 1913 leave had been due to a nervous breakdown, but considering the circumstances, it's possible that was only a smokescreen to conceal her true illness from the general public. According to Utes, quote, she had for several years been battling an uncurable disease. Yet she asked her doctors and her immediate friends not to reveal the real seriousness of her ills. Corkill spent her leave that fall visiting her brother-in-law in Chicago. She had already arranged to return to Lawrence next term. But it wasn't to be. On December 13th of 1913, in Chicago's Presbyterian Hospital, she died. She was 47 years old. The available evidence leaves the cause of death somewhat unclear. Her long-term illness would be a natural assumption, but her obituary in the Appleton Post speculated that her death was due to blood poisoning. Her body was transported to Forest Home Cemetery in Mount Pleasant. She was the only one of her siblings to have her name inscribed on the same headstone as her parents. She had never married, apparently preferring to spend her life in pursuit of knowledge. What would she have thought of us and our prying eyes today, pursuing knowledge of her? Maybe it's better simply to leave her her privacy. In the words of Dr. Utes, why use words more? They cannot express what such a life has been. A special thanks to Gretchen Revy, Aaron Dix, Andrew McSorley, Arno Damaro, David Burke, Bridget Vance, the Lawrence University Archives, and the Lawrence University Library for helping to make this podcast possible. See the poster for the academic bibliography. Sound resources include Wall Street Rag, 
by Scott Joplin, performed by Alessandro Simonetto and released through On Classical. Jupiter, Bringer of Jollity, by Gustav Holst, performed by the Skidmore College Orchestra and acquired through MuseOpen.org. Country Farmyard, by Castle of Samples on Free Sounds, and Elementary, by Scott Buckley.